I want to welcome everyone to this Agape Christian Fellowship meeting. We're here today to discuss something near and dear to the heart of most Christians. How to get results when we pray. There is something that can block you from receiving good results from your prayers, especially when there are prayers about our loved ones. So let's take a look at this today. Now, over the years that we have been operating the courts of heaven, many people seek the courts for help with their loved ones. That's the, probably the number one reason why people come to the, the free online school, the courts of heaven academy, is that they're seeking to be for themselves freedom, or they're seeking to help their loved ones. When you pray for others, there is one thing that will determine what kind of results you get from those prayers. It'll affect it the most. This is a necessary foundation to receiving breakthroughs as you apply the teachings based on God's word and you enter into prayer. We will establish facts from scripture to help you receive better results when you pray, not only about your loved ones, but about anything. It, this can apply to your job. This can apply to your finances. This can apply to your health. All of these principles are the same, but it's most easily seen when we talk about our loved ones. Now, children are nearest and dearest to the hearts and the minds of their parents. When children are in need of healing or deliverance or guidance back to God, their parents can see that they're clearly on a not good path. This can trouble the hearts and the minds. It can occupy our space and our thoughts. Unfortunately, our focus on an issue may block God from bringing the solution. As I said, this is not only about children. This is about anything that is occupying your focus, whether it's, oh, I need a better job. Oh, I need breakthrough in finances or even our health. The word from God concerning this issue came at one of our online tea and coffee meetings. That's where people can come and ask questions of Agape elders. This is a free uh, meeting. None of our things are charged for at the academy, so we're not trying to sell you anything. What I'm telling you is that there's a place where you can come and ask questions if you don't understand how to apply what you've learned. So one day, a parent came and asked a question. She said, why does it seem like autism is an, is an untouchable condition? There's no medical cure, and godly leaders don't seem to be able to effectively pray to have this relieved either. Sign, I replied, I have been asking the Holy Spirit and the Lord this very question for many years. As I said these words, I was surprised to hear the Holy Spirit speak very strongly to me, telling me to, to relate to her the story of the Gentile woman seeking the Lord because her daughter was demon-possessed. As I began relating the story, the Holy Spirit showed me how to apply it. So I'm going to relate that story here for you in the Word of God, and then we're going to show how to apply it. We need to look at Matthew 15, verses 21 through 28. Then Jesus went there and departed in, into the coast of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, you son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. devil. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and sought him, saying, Send her away, for she cries after us. But he, being Jesus, answered and said, I am not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and she worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. 
But he answered and said, it is not meat to take the children's bread and cast it to the dogs. And she said, truth, Lord. In other words, you have spoken the truth. Yet the dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it to you even as you will. And her daughter was made whole that very hour. While I was relating this scripture, not that accurately, I might add, I knew the basics and the gist, but I could not recite this word for word. As I, I talked about this story, the Holy Spirit pointed out that the woman did not drag her, her daughter along to Jesus. She left her daughter and she sought the Lord with all she had. Even when Jesus ignored her, she pursued him. When Jesus called her a dog, which is, a symbol, which is symbolically some, something unclean, and Jesus rejected her request, still she did not take offense. She just worshiped him saying, Lord, you are able. See, she called him Lord, meaning master. She recognized who he was, the son of David, the coming king of Israel. She had some knowledge and she sought him. The Canaanite woman, Canaanite woman replied humbly and she worshiped him by insisting that he was the master. And even the crumb was enough. That, how great is that for the power of the Lord that, you know, all she needed was a little tiny piece and she knew that would be sufficient. That was worship. God, you are able, and this is easy for you. When our children are suffering, we focus often on receiving relief for them instead of seeking Jesus as master. That's what the word Lord means. Lord means owner. He's our master. When our kids are afflicted, we can hold on to them tightly, hold on to them and, and rush them around trying to find help instead of resting in the fact that Jesus is able to heal them. All we need to do is get close enough to receive a tiny little crumb. You see, our focused, focus must be on developing a relationship with Jesus knowing that he is able and he wants to heal our kids. Or applying it to other things, help us to receive that which we need. Remember, God is the supplier of all our needs, whether it's a healing or whether it's um, help in a relationship or with work. We now know that because of the sacrifice of our Lord, we are no longer outside of God's family. We are no longer that dog, you know, that unclean um, animal that he referred to her as. We are now the children. So we don't have to look for the crumbs to fall from the master, but we do need bread. Let's look at John 3.35 or 6.35. This is the American King James Version. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Also in John um, verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning, the Word was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was God. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. You see, Jesus is the bread and the Word of God. He is both. He is the word and he is bread. That is why we refer to the word of God as bread, because they're one and the same. Right now, you cannot physically go to where Jesus is like the woman did. Remember, she set everything aside and she went right to where he was. You can't do that because we can't go to heaven where he is. But we can seek to know him more through the word of God. When our children are suffering, 
It can, when there is an issue in our life that seems to encompass everything, whether it's healing or a need that we have, it can be hard to let go and focus on Jesus. But if we don't, he may not help. When we focus on finding the answer, finding the healing or anything else, we are in danger of making that item an idol. We are placing it above God. This principle is easy to understand because when a child is diagnosed as, on, as autistic or on the spectrum, their symptoms are very apparent. I mean, it complicates our life. There, it, it is a challenge in our life. It, I'm, I'm not saying that autistic children are not beautiful and there is a beauty and a love that they, they can have. I'm not saying that they're bad, but I'm saying that if they're on the spectrum and often they come with symptoms that complicate our lives. With very little help from the medical community, desperation and fear can set in. This is why it can be more challenging for God to heal autistic children, because the parents are holding on to it too tight. Look at it like this. This is the a vision the Lord gave me of it. Okay, here is your autistic child. Here is you. You just hold on to that. You're always focused on it. You're looking at it. You're carrying it around with you, the burden in your heart all the time. When you've got a, a big grasp on it, the Lord can't get in. You have to let go so then the Lord can move in. But that can be hard when there's stuff going on every single day. We must pray and he will help us. You must seek to know your master, your owner better. You must be willing to sit at his feet and you must be willing to wait until he acknowledges you. Without giving up, without getting upset, know that in his time, it will be done. That a crumb is enough, that he is able. This principle can be applied to any child in who is in need or any situation that we need help with. We cannot hold on to the program, or to the problem. It cannot be the focus of every prayer. It, we cannot think that, oh, all we have to do is pray the right words, say the right things. Oh, if I just, if I just do something. No, it's not about you doing something. It's about you resting in him. We must, if we will, pray and place it in the hands of God, then trust that he has the answer. It allows him to move into that situation. Now, sometimes it helps to have prayer support to let go of issues. After you have completed the 401 course in the academy, that's 101 to 401, in that free online school, we have intercession appointments that may be scheduled if you are struggling with a situation. It may take more than one. Sometimes we need, we need to help and be supported until we can let go. And that is why we are the body of Christ. That's why we are in communion with one another, because we are supporting one another to help each other. Now, one of the things that we can do is place a child at the throne of grace. But before we do that, we must have understood of how to let go. The necessity of not focusing, the necessity of not looking for just the right words, for laying it in the hands of Jesus, of relying on his grace, relying on his mercy. Once we have that, then we can place the, the kids, our kids, at the throne of grace. Now, when we do this for a child who is over the age of 18, now I know they're young adults, they're, they're technically adults, but they will always be our children. I'm sorry. When, even if you have a child over the 18, you know, they're always our kids, right? Once a kid is over the age of 18, they are considered a legal adult. So placing them at the throne of grace may bring 
unexpected results. So I'm here today, so they won't be unexpected. They won't be a surprise, and you'll be ready in case they do happen. Not saying they will, but they may, and if they do, you'll be prepared. In a series of visions, back when we began placing children at the throne and praying them, for them, the Lord revealed what can happen when we pray for our kids. And of course, this can be applied to other things other than our kids. So if you don't have kids, don't feel left out. Apply this to other areas in your life, including family members. It was actually the prayers and determination of one mother that helped bring the fullness of the revelation about adult kids to, to light. You see, it was at one of those tea and coffee meetings that a woman, let's call her J-Lo, asked why things were getting worse and worse for her son, whom we will refer to as Quinn. And this is after he was placed at the throne of grace. So uh, I'm giving you an example. This is an example so that you can apply it. If you have a child who is prone to wandering, this, this is what it looks like in the natural. So if you place the, a child at the throne of grace, or if you intercede for them for grace and mercy, this is what you're doing in the, in the natural. This is what, it, hmm, a natural example. So say you have a kid who's prone to wandering and there's a highway on a hill nearby. You know that your child could be killed if they wander into that road. You know the danger, but your child does not see it. In an attempt to keep your child safe, to keep them from dying, you place barbed wire and other very painful obstacles between that road and your child. Now, some very determined children will push through those painful obstacles. They may push through the barbed wire and get scraped up. They may fall into the ditch and break an arm. You know, there's all kinds of things that, you, that you're placing in there. But that's actually God's grace and mercy. That is, that is what happens when you pray for a child. God is the one who places obstacles, painful things between them and the eternal death of that highway. So that highway represents eternal death. So God doesn't want them to be apart from him forever. So as they continue in that wrong path and as they get closer to that eternal death, he puts more and more obstacles between them. You see, God knows all things. He knows what the rest of that life will look like, what is necessary, and he will only do that which is necessary. So this is what we related at tea and coffee, and know that this is God's way. When you pray for grace and mercy, it doesn't mean things will get better. Sometimes things get worse until they're desperate enough to turn back to God. We also warn J-Lo not to focus on her son, but to focus on God. God should always be the main focus of our life. If the kids are the center of our world, We've placed them above God. They are an idol to us. Remember, Abraham was called to place his son on an altar ready to sacrifice him so that that child would not be above God. And then God provided the solution. So just because we place them in God's hands, it doesn't mean that he is going to hmm, do something horrible. It just means he knows what's necessary as we release them to him. So back to the story of J-Lo. The Lord impressed upon her that she should bring Quinn in for a scheduled meeting at the courts of heaven. Life-changing decisions for him would be made, and J-Lo wanted to make sure God would be involved. And these were coming up really quickly. So we set up an emergency visit, and Quinn came in for the meeting. Holy Spirit had me explain things very carefully to Quinn before the meeting. He was so young. He was just barely an adult. After presenting him before the judge, I heard private counsel. 
which means, which was confirmed by the seers in the group with us. So this was a place apart from the, the judgment room where the Holy Spirit and the Lord could speak with us. So our group, I saw in the vision, our group leave, leading the, leaving the courts of heaven with an angel. But Quinn was shuffling along with us with his hands and feet bound in thick chains. But once the door closed behind us, I explained what I had seen to Quinn. With him aware of the situation, I, I then looked to the Lord and asked, why is this boy chained? Isn't he before the throne of, gra of grace? It seems like he's in the hands of the enemy. Well, Jesus crossed his arms over his chest and he said, he isn't mine. He hasn't submitted to me as his Lord. What? I thought. He said he was a Christian. I'm not supposed to judge him spiritually. The Lord just looked at me, and I knew that he had judged when, not me. My thoughts were scrambling in my head, and I didn't know what to say. Then a peace came over me, and I suddenly had words from my counselor, the Holy Spirit. I spoke slowly, one word at a time, as he gave them to me. I said, what does the name Lord mean to you? When you call Jesus Lord, what are you saying? A few seconds of silence, and then Quinn whispered, it's like God, Holy Spirit, and Jesus. It's just what we call him. The word Lord, I explained, actually means owner. A land Lord is a land owner. In order to be part of God's kingdom, we have to pledge ourselves to Jesus as Lord, meaning he is our owner. He is our master. This is why the New Testament talks about Christians as bond servants who choose to become pledged to a master of their own free will. That's what a bond servant means. It means I'm going to give my life and I'm going to serve this person as a willing slave. I asked Quinn, is it possible that you have never made this commitment to Jesus? It is very possible, Quinn replied. I said, the Lord told me that there's nothing he can do for you. You are not part of his kingdom until you make that commitment. Just like an earthly king or a duke can only protect those who have pledged themselves to, him, to them and to their kingdom. I continued to explain, though I knew J-Lo had had him in church for many years. I said, Jesus is gentle and kind. He will never ask more of you than you can give. But you must be committed to doing things his way. It is no longer about what you want, it, but it's about what God has created you to be. He has a special destiny just for you that will bring you into his kingdom so you can be with him forever. I continued letting him know that saying you're calling may not be to be a preacher or even in a church. Whether you are a sports player, a lawyer, or working in an office, you may be, you must be willing to listen to him and do what he says. When you find this destiny for which God has created you, it will be better than you've ever imagined. Are you willing to give your life to God so that it isn't your life anymore? but whatever he wants for you. Are you ready to be a willing slave to Jesus so that he is on your side and he can help you in this life? Quinn simply stated, yes, I am. I asked him to repeat after me. And if you here today would like to take Jesus as Lord, you can repeat this prayer Jesus, I take you as my Lord. My life is no longer my own. You just let me know what I need to do and I will do it. Now, Quinn already knew Jesus was a son of God, so only the act of confessing him as Lord was necessary.
If you need to confess him as the son of God, you can also add, Jesus, I believe that you are the son of God. That you were raised from the dead on the third day. I accept you as my Lord. So I told Quinn what I saw as he said the words and repeated them after me. The Lord drew his sword and touched him on his head. Then the chains holding him unlocked and fell to the ground, turning into dust. Light shone down upon his head. I told Quinn, now it is up to you to learn about your new kingdom, the kingdom of your Lord. And you need to remove anything from your life that is considered a sin when you find out that it is a sin. It's not like jumping off a cliff. I, because I saw a lighted path before him. It will just be one step at a time. That's what the Lord expects, just one step at a time. Jesus will never ask more of you than you are able to give. Now, one of our other seer, seers who didn't know about JLo's vision saw Quinn put his arm around the waist of Jesus, and Jesus put his arm around Quinn's shoulder. This is a vision that JLo had had before she made the, made the meeting. You see, the Lord had shown her what would happen in by having this meeting. From this point on, Quinn would walk with the Lord. Jesus at that time told me that he, the young man had enough for one day. This was all that Quinn could accept. He just needed to focus on how much the Lord loves him. That was the meaning of the sandy beach upon which Jay, um, Quinn was walking with the Lord. The beach are God's good thoughts towards us. They are as numerous as the grains of sand on the seashore. That's what the word of God says. So there's so much to learn from what J-Lo experienced. First, what does grace and mercy look like? Second, we need to know that we must let go. And three, we need to know about walking in peace. You see, J-Lo struggled with what grace and mercy looked like for her son. When we place our loved ones before the throne of grace, it doesn't necessarily mean everything gets better. In fact, sometimes the opposite may happen. Like in this case, it took a really bad circumstance for Quinn to be willing to come in for prayer. And only then could it be discovered that he wasn't really taking, hadn't really taken Jesus as Lord. You see, the most merciful thing that God can do is to bring a person into submission of Jesus as Lord so they can be with him and with us for all eternity. This is appropriating the fullness of the grace of what Jesus has done. Often, in order to achieve this, God will allow the enemy to attack us until we are on our knees and have no place to look but up to him. Now, Ephesians 2, verse 7 and 8 in the King James Version says this. That in ages to come, he may show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us through Jesus Christ. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift from God. As we continue through eternity, we are proof of God's great kindness, because it is his gift through grace, through unmerited favor, that we receive Jesus, that we are able to receive him, that his son was sent for us so that we can be in heaven with him. To let someone continue in a path that would lead to hell, to being not with God, this is not kind or merciful. If you pray for your loved ones, for grace and mercy, and their situation gets worse, know that God has a reason. It may be because Jesus is not yet Lord 
of their life. You must trust that God's mercy will not take them from the earth until they become part of his kingdom. This is why we are to pray for our enemies. The biggest blessing is for God to be in our lives. Even though the process that brings us there may be quite painful. If our enemies are part of God's kingdom, they will no longer be our enemy, but our brother. So when we pray for our enemy, what we're praying is, God, do whatever is necessary. Have mercy on them so they can be part of your kingdom too. That is the most effective way to pray for an enemy. Now, the hardest part of interceding for grace and mercy for those we love is letting go and knowing what it may look like. We must surrender them to the Lord and place our children upon the altar just as Abraham did with Isaac. Whatever idea we have of what God should be doing for our kids or even our spouse or our parents, we must trust in God. He has a plan. He has a ram hidden in the thicket for Abraham, and he has a solution for us. Philippians 4, 7 says, And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Jesus. Isaiah 26, 3 in the English Standard Version, You will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. Even when we say that we trust in God, how can we be sure that he is directing our path? When we have fully surrendered our will to God's will, the Holy Spirit will bring that past, that, that peace that passes all understanding. But it's a matter of our minds staying focused on the Lord and not on the problem. Now, his guidance to you may not be in the form of a vision which led J-Lo to book and schedule the appointment with us, but the Lord will always show up. He will always guide you. And it's through that peace that passes understanding as our mind and our hearts remain focused on the Lord. It's through that peace that God will direct us. Proverbs 3 Verse 5 and 6 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not into your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. Psalm 37, 5, commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. When we are committed to the Lord, we place our trust in him. When we are inviting him to move into a situation we're allowing him to direct, direct our path. We must acknowledge him. We must give it over to him. We must not lean on what we think should happen, how we think it should play out on our own information. Now, I saw this vision in the courts. A petitioner we were escorting was had a glowing blue ball. That was the situation that she wanted resolved. And she would hand this blue ball over to the Lord. The ball represented the problem. After a few seconds, she would change her mind and she would grab it back. This happened several times over the next few minutes. The Lord continually stood by her, patiently waiting for her to return it to him. Ask yourself, do you want your hands to dominate the lives of your children or husband or the problem that you're facing? Or do you want the Lord's hands on it? To receive answers for our prayers, we must, first and foremost, make Jesus the Lord of our life. He's the owner. We, he has a destiny for us. We are seeking him. Second, we must trust in the Lord. We must know that he is good, that he is love. Third, we have to place our problem in his hands. And fourth, we must know for a time that it may not look perfect. Now, there, there are three types of intercession for kids. There, are the, there is the legal adult. There are children between the ages of 12 and the legal adult age. That's the age of 12 is the age of accountability. 
And then there are children who are under the age of 12. Let's look specifically at prayer for our kids now and concerning the throne of grace and see how we can pray for them and why. When kids are adults, we no longer hold legal rights to speak for them. If we in your country, your kids are at the age when you cannot go to court and represent them without them present, then you cannot represent them and place them at the throne of grace. That has to be a willingness there to have them reside at the throne of grace. Just like on earth, when a child is an adult, they become legally responsible for themselves. For this reason, we should intercede for adult kids for grace and mercy as we do anyone else. We cannot place them before the throne of grace unless they have dedicated their lives to seeking the Lord and learning his ways. But we can intercede for grace and mercy as Daniel did. The most important factor is the state of our heart that should naturally cry out for God to help them. So that part of the prayer is easy. However, we must also release them to God, which can be much harder, as we've discussed. In order to reach that place where you can let go, there are a few things I can suggest. If you will meditate and consider the following, it could help you. So remember, the Bible says that we should meditate upon God. We should be focused on God. Well, here are some things about God and focusing on him that will help you release your children. First, God created them to be part of his eternal kingdom. That means for all eternity, he wants them with him, which is with you. Second, God sent his son to die for them. This is how much God loves them. Third. It is his will for them to be forever with him in heaven. And you will be there too. When we focus on these aspects of our Heavenly Father, it's easier to place them in his hands. We must be ready to stand strong and know that, first, whatever happens, after praying for them, it is what is necessary to move them into God's eternal kingdom. We must be aware that they may suffer. But it'll only be for a short time when compared to all eternity. They have to suffer for years and years and years here. Compared to the eternal life, it is nothing. Whatever suffering has to be endured here is worth it to be with God forever. Now, keeping these principles firmly in mind will help us to stand strong when our loved ones are facing challenges and difficulties. We need to rejoice that God is in charge that it is his mercy that is bringing them to where they need to be so they can dedicate their lives to him. If your child is not a Christian, you, will, you, can, you can cry out for mercy for each situation. Cry out for the situation once, then leave it at his, at his feet. And once you have cried out for it once, if you cry out for it again, it means you don't really believe he's involved. So you want to thank him for doing it. So every situation, if the Holy Spirit brings you to cry out for mercy, you can do it again. But you should only place them at the throne of grace once. There are some, also some parental promises that we can claim for our kids as we release them to God after praying for his grace and mercy to move into their life. Isaiah 49, 25 but thus said the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken away, and the prey of the terrible shall be delivered, for I, for I will contend with him that contends with you, and I will save your children. That's where we get the children of the righteous shall be saved. There's also Proverbs 11.21. Though hand join in hand, the wicked shall not be unpunished. But the seed of the righteous shall be delivered. Here's twice God says that your child will be saved. These scriptures allows us to place our kids in God's hands with complete confidence. We, as long as we are righteous, as long as we are in right standing, as long as we have that relationship with God, our children will be saved. They will be delivered. 
In some versions, it actually means freed from the enemy. So at the end of the prayer from Grace and Mercy that you find in the academy class, the first one, 101-1, you can simply add these words. Lord, your word says the children of the righteous shall be saved. I am righteous, not by my own actions, but through my Lord Jesus. I thank you, Father, for doing all that is necessary to bring my child to your heavenly kingdom. I release him into your hands now. Now, if situations arrive in your adult kid's life that do not seem godly or even are life-threatening, you can do either of the following. You can do any of these three things, any or all. If you're not sure that they're a Christian, cry out to God for mercy again. If they are a Christian, praise him that they are at the throne of grace and that he has a purpose for what is happening. And three, this one can be done for either one or two in connection with them. Ask the Lord to strengthen you for what is happening, to grant you peace, to grant you wisdom concerning how to respond to the situation so that you are working with him and not against him. When our child's happiness or health is at stake, at times we will need to strive to rest. Yes, it's work. It's hard to let go, but God is faithful and he will do whatever is necessary to bring your child into his kingdom and the Holy Spirit will help you to rest. Now there's some interesting aspects of praying for those who are 12 years old to the legal adult age. 12 is the age of accountability according to Jewish tradition. A bar, mitzvah, a bar mitzvah celebration is held at that age, the age of 13, celebrating the fact that the kids are now fully able to comprehend the differences between right and wrong. At this point, they are able to choose who they want to follow, God or Satan. We see this supported in the life of our Lord when his parents took him to the temple. Jesus' parents looked for him. He was 12 years old. They searched and they found him at the temple where scholars were amazed at the wisdom with which he spoke. Luke 2, 49 says, And he said to them, How is it that you sought me? Knew you not that, that I must be about my father's business? He was only 12 years old. The Lord was able to begin doing his father's work at that age. We too are able to choose who we will be in alignment with at the age of 12. If the child is mentally capable of understanding good for evil, that is the age of, of accountability. If your child's mind isn't yet able, then you are able still to intercede for him. So generally speaking, a child who is around the age of 12 is considered to be at the age of accountability. Now, at this age, they are responsible for the sins they commit. For this reason, we cannot plead the blood for the sins of our children who are over the age of 12 because they have to choose to turn from them. But we can confess the sin before the blood is applied. We can confess it for the child and we can stand as a legal representative of our child. This is the great part. This is the great advantage. We can legally represent them in the court. We can't say that they are turning from it because when you confess, you say, I'm, I see it the way God does. Well, we don't, if the child doesn't understand the sin the way God does, if they're not willing to turn from it, we can't not confess. But we can confess for their ancestors. We can confess for their sins and the sins of the ancestors on both sides. So you can confess for their father. If you're the wife, you can confess for the father's side and the mother's side. All the ancestral line can be cleared. You confess the sin for the ancestors and you plead the blood over it. This means that if there's a curse, generational curse that is pushing them into that sin, is, is urging them to commit that sin, then that curse will be broken. They still have a choice, but the 
there won't be the urgency behind it. It won't be such a push. Now, the prayer for your 12-year-old child or 12 to 18-year-old child is on the web on the website in the class 1014, getting the results. So I'm not going to repeat it here today. It's a very long prayer, but it's a template. So we have the template there so you can be guided by the Holy Spirit and know that these are some items to include in the prayer. Now, after you repeat, you, you say the prayer, you must, again, be ready to stand strong no matter what the situation looks like, knowing in your heart that God wants them in heaven more than you do. And he is able to use everything in their life to fulfill his purpose. Here's Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Ask the Holy Spirit for wisdom every day for your kids. How should I respond? What should I do? What should I say? Lord, grant me your words and it shall be done. Now, when your kids are under the age of 12, there's some additional things we can, we can pray for. Psalm 51, 5 and 6. Behold, I was shaped in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you shall make me know to know wisdom. No child is born innocent or free of sin except for our Lord, who is conceived through the Holy Spirit, not through sin. For this reason, we must intercede for our children when they're below the age of 12. They're not yet legally able to act on their behalf in any way. And we can intercede fully for them. For them. We must because there is sin. There is sin that is, there is born with them. It is a precious time, this age. Because we can, we can not only confess the sins of their ancestors, but any sin that was attached to the child when they came forth. Sins they participated in afterwards, such as lying. How many of you have kids under the age of 12? Have they ever lied? <laughs> have, they, have they ever done something that you know is a sin? Lying is probably the biggest one. So you can confess sins on their behalf. Anytime you're given legal responsibility for a child under 12, it has to be like a child that you could go and sign something in a court of law for. Then you can pray and place them at the throne of grace. You can cry out for any child for grace and mercy and ask God to have mercy on them, you can do that prayer for any person, any child at any time. Anyone can rush, can go to the throne at poor grace. Any person can approach God for grace and mercy, and you can intercede for grace and mercy for any person. We're just talking about placing them at the throne of grace, where the worst attacks of the enemy are they're sheltered from. We saw it like a glowing dome over a person and arrows from the enemy would come and it, they would not penetrate this glowing shield. That's what being at the throne of grace is about. It's a protection for a time while they learn and grow. So when you're praying for a child, you would pray for the sins of the ancestors and also confess for any of the child's sin as well. And you can plead the blood of Jesus over both. And that prayer we have a template for. We have something that you can pray like this. So you don't have to say those exact words. Pray whatever the Holy Spirit tells you to. This is just a prayer like Jesus said to his disciples with, with the Our Father prayer prayer like this. There are some few things you can mention in your prayer for your kids. That can also be found at the Courts of Heaven website, cohacademy.com. It's the fourth class in the 101 section, getting results. Now, we do encourage you to do 101 to 101 and 101 to 1013 before that, because they give you all the necessities about confession, for instance, for repentance and what pleading the blood means. Those 
three classes are necessary before you take any of these other steps. So we do encourage you to do them in order. By the time you get to the four, fourth class, you'll have the prayer for your kids. These kind of prayers, they can be effective not only for your kids, but the whole family line. We have heard back from some people who prayed for their kids and or themselves, and then they found that all their relatives were not so active in certain sins, which they had confessed for their ancestors. You see, it moves it for the entire family line. It gives people more of a, of, of a choice, which is why it's so important for us to take these steps. It doesn't remove, you know, everybody has free will. You can still sin, but it removes that extra push from gen a generational curse. Now, if a situ situation arises in your child's life after praying any of these prayers, make sure that you rejoice in God's grace provided through Jesus. Do not give in to fear. Let the Lord know that you that he has this situation. He's going to use it some way for the child and just let you know how you can work in agreement with him. There is nothing wrong with bending your knees and calling out the situation while praising God that his will shall be done for your life. Remember, the woman who received healing for her child what did she do? She worshiped Jesus. Even when he said the answer was no, he, she continued to worship him, call him master and said, oh, but only a little crumb is enough. That must be how we pray for our kids. That is the message that God has for you today. May God bless you and keep you. May the Holy Spirit restore to both you and I right and godly wisdom if we've missed it in any way. I place you in the hands of your counselor, the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, teach them how to recognize your voice, how to understand when you're speaking to them, and grant them wisdom. In the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, amen.